Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. Uh, Next month, I'll be uh, doing a few shows on the subject of grief and loss. And today we look at a particular aspect of that grieving process um, in terms of preparing for the transition of a beloved pet, which is a huge subject. And and many many of us have been impacted and will be impacted by, by that grief. So it's wonderful to talk about it today. My guest is Angela Garner. She's an animal bereavement specialist and a former nurse. Um, She's also founded a national support service in the UK to help people through the grieving process, developing a wide range of pet bereavement resources. Many of these approaches are outlined in her excellent book that she's just written. It's entitled, When It's Time to Say Goodbye, Preparing for the Transition of Your Beloved Pet. And so it's a pleasure to welcome Angela Garner all the way from the UK to be with us today. So welcome, glad you're with us. Yes, hello, Paul, and thank you for inviting me onto your show to talk about this very challenging topic um, because it's, although it's challenging, it is an important one because saying saying goodbye is often the hardest part of caring for a pet, as we know. Well, you know, and, and pets can become closer, as close to us, sometimes for some closer than, than human companions, friends or relatives, right? And so the loss of a pet is, is huge. And, um, and there's so many people have pets of various kinds, not just dogs and cats, but all kinds of um, animals, birds, etc. And, and so it, it is a, a huge subject. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we have the opportunity to talk about it. Um, I think the book for me is summed up in um, on page 12 in the introduction. I'm just going to read the short paragraph because for me, this is the essence of it. It says uh, this book offers support, not with a multitude of placatory messages, but to say it as it is. It's OK to feel what you feel, whatever that might be to reassure you that although the grief at times may seem insurmountable, you can and will get through it. And I love that because it's not, this isn't a book that says, oh, it's all going to be okay, you know, and uh, 
or your pets are on the other side, they're in a better place, or the placatory ideas like that, or, or whatever. But to, to, to really feel it, right, to be in the place, uh, not to try and avoid it, but to, to say it's okay to feel whatever you feel. I love that. Um, but also the reassurance that, you know, there are there are ways to move through this. The grief is a natural process, right? And, um, yes. and you know, it's not, it's not something to be avoided. I grew up in Britain back in the in the 50s and 60s, and um, the whole different world then, you know, back in the day. And I, it's probably the same in in America. It's it's like you stuffed all these emotions. You didn't think about them. Um, you denied it, and you rushed on to the next pet or whatever without without going through grieving. And um, I'm glad that in in our modern era, you know, we're we're more uh, sensitive to to needs without without getting um, gushy about it, right? Because it's not about that. It's about real feelings. Yes, absolutely. And it was very different in those days in the UK. And even death itself was kind of avoided being spoken about honestly and openly. Um, And this was about, you know, our relatives as well. And yeah, very different world. I'm so glad that now, you know, it is, it is actually aired and considered and especially that it's the understanding of grief is becoming more and more understood about pet loss as well because as, as you said they they can be totally integral to our lives and sometimes an animal or a bird can be the sole companion for someone and the central part of their life and their reason for getting up every morning and their whole routine revolves around caring for that pet and that often increases that care as a pet becomes um, either sick or elderly so a person can go from caring intently intensely for a pet to nothing once the animal actually has died and it's the whole journey from preparing when there is a chance to prepare going through the death of the animal whether that's natural or euthanasia and then facing the emptiness and, and the loss and being able to work through that and find support if it's needed and I really wanted to embrace the whole package so that that there was like no stone unturned in terms of loss as to what people might worry about what they may feel uh, because what we feel is what is important and it's actually quite a challenge to sometimes allow ourselves to feel what we feel when it's very painful. However, when people are in grief, it can, it usually comes in waves and it's like it can feel totally overwhelming. It's a bit like being in the sea and you get overwhelmed by waves. 
the water has to come down eventually and it's the same with the emotions that they are finite and so you know they'll they'll overwhelm us and then they'll settle down then they'll overwhelm us and then settle down and it's but it's pretty exhausting actually yeah. absolutely absolutely and um but you're right you know it's it's uh, it's the way the, the waves waves are a good analogy aren't they because um things never stay the same you know there's not a, and that's the saving grace if you like you know there's going to be moments of respite even in the midst of the the worst pain for instance or, or moments of um peacefulness i think people who have lost um you know human beings feel this too you know you go through those times where you, you you almost forget and then you then you remember and feel guilty that for forgetting you know but but yes. that's the nature of the mind it, it's uh, it, you can't hold on to something totally because the the nature of life is flow right it is it's constant change so and we yes. we need to give thanks for that because otherwise we'd be totally stuck you know in in a certain state of mind or whatever but with that that's not going to happen luckily but yeah, yes. I, I love the book because it's very clear the way you 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 know cover all the topics um, in a systematic way um, with a lot of stories from people as well and their personal experiences. So it's it's very real in that way, um, all the way from preparing to uh, you know dealing with the loss and and then moving on and possibly you know finding uh, a new uh, pet companion. So the first thing you mentioned is uh, preparing for loss. In mind and heart, and I like that because you know you can have an idea. You know your your pet is dying, perhaps. And my my dog that died a little while ago, you know, d developed cancer, and uh, we knew mentally that he he probably wasn't going to make it. But in the heart, it's difficult because you know you can accept it maybe intellectually, but emotionally, that's a whole nother another ball game, isn't it? Yes, it is actually, and it it is creating that trying to find that balance in oneself and you know we can go to the vet and find out the situation and get the the intelligence of it and what needs to happen and what may happen and then that's one aspect but then there's the emotions and and the feelings of coming from the heart which is completely different and um it needs time it needs finding the moments of like acceptance and peace and settlement in one's in in oneself and the thing is when we are preparing for the loss it's quite difficult to um think clearly about stuff and that's why I've addressed this in the book in in a clear way with exercises in terms of going to the vets and the sorts of things a person might need to ask about and to write down the answers because when the emotions start to kick in at home and the fears um, and the guilt and all, all these kinds of things then it's good to be able to get back to the information and to because at the end of the day while that you still got a pet you actually want the best welfare towards the end of their life 
and the kindest death for them when that's possible. It's different when an animal, you know, dies suddenly and then one is left with the shock and the aftermath of, of that. Um, yeah. Right, and that's a whole different thing, isn't it? At least when the, the pet is is slowly dying, and that's not a great thing, but at least you can, you know, begin to grieve even before they've gone and, and sort of come to terms with it. It's really hard if, an, if there's an accident or whatever or a sudden death then the, yeah. there's no chance, is there, to, to deal with it. And, and that can that can be difficult there, you know, the, the shock of it, the disbelief, et cetera, um, not easy. That's right. And, you know, there can be like a urgent situation, perhaps like with a equine, with colic, severe colic that, you know, can't be treated. Um, the kindest thing is to say goodbye very quickly, That that kind of thing. And I believe that the best we can do is to make the decisions if we have to at the time. And then afterwards, we can look back and think, right, well, I did what I needed to do. If there was an urgent situation where urgent euthanasia was needed, or if the animal suddenly dies, like, um, one of our dogs in the past, he died of a heart attack in front of us. Wow. Which sounds, it was obviously incredibly traumatic at the point. But afterwards, you know, we could look back and think, well, he, he died like he lived, which was doing it his own way. <laughs> right. And there was a kind of comfort in actually witnessing it was quick and over very quickly and yes you know we, we were left with the emotional turmoil but that's that's kind of okay um devastating but looking back on it we didn't have to make the difficult decisions that you know some of us have to make about euthanasia right yeah exactly so there's there's pros and cons in in things but Things are as they are, and the main thing is that the pet is not allowed to suffer more than obviously can be helped. Yeah. Right, I understand. And mm. uh, you know, part of grow, part of living a life is is understanding death, isn't it? It's one of the most important things you can come to terms with because if you refuse to look at death and think it's morbid or I don't, I don't want to deal with that, you know, when it comes and it will, and it is coming for all of us, um, you know, we're not prepared. So uh, it's not morbid at all, actually. It helps us live more fully, I think, if we embrace the fact that, you know, the things are not always it's coming back to that flow again. Things aren't always going to be this way. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's a precious thing to have a pet, to have a, a spouse to have a companion to have anybody in our lives um and and so to to treasure that while, while you have it right otherwise you know the the shock is too too great so there, there's work to be done isn't there in the preparing ourselves there's also work to be done in in advanced planning and i know you talk about that um you know because we can't always see clearly so the vet can help us you know plan things out what needs to happen at a certain time and that does often lead to uh, 
euthanasia, right? Because as you said, we don't want the pet to suffer too much. You know, I, I, we, we like to, in, our, in my family, we like to let our pets live as long as possible, you know, but without the, the, the pain. Um, once the, the, you know, the pain or they're overwhelmed or, you know, unconscious or whatever, then and it seems uh, humane to take them to the vet for euthanasia, right? That, that, that's the, that's yes. the best cause. Yes, that's right. And there is different, the suffering as well as pain. Pain is clear, the suffering. But there's other types of suffering, like um, difficulty with struggling to breathe or not being able to move very much or feeling constantly sick, being sick. And so I always try to make it clear to people to try and find out from the vet, you know, what to look for in their pet, the symptoms they're showing that could indicate they are suffering in some way. Right. Um, Because that means, yeah. No, go ahead. Um, because it's about holding the space for the animal while it's coming to the end of his or her life and being able to have the information and, and the intelligence about what's going on, what could happen, finding out what to do in as far as possible in different circumstances, like what would constitute an emergency what would show that the pet is is suddenly in a lot of pain or suffering and being able to know how to contact the vet out of hours. All these things actually help to bring some peace of mind to the person because it started to be thought through right? rather than random. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, and all the time somebody's doing that, Hard as it is, it's actually starting to prepare their mind and heart because they're visiting it. They're, as you were saying so rightly just now, about facing the fact of our loved ones dying and that it happens. And it's like almost vaccinating ourselves with with these thoughts if it's something we don't normally think about and becoming more if I could use the word comfortable or used to because the better prepared we are then the easier things things can be at the point and you know we could have everything planned out you know some people prepare as much as possible, which is brilliant, and including things like what they're going to do with their pet pet after they've died, you know, about cremation or burial and all that kind of thing, or whether they are be having the vet coming to the house if that's possible or taking their pet there, all these things to think about. And at least if the plan's in place as much as possible even if it can't happen that way because something becomes urgent you know more is possible because um, options have been thought about and it's it's much less of a shock 
you know, when you've actually looked at these things and, and made decisions as far as you can. Absolutely. And I was going to say, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I, I know it's in the book, um, you know, pets sometimes hide their illness, right? The, the, um, yeah. Certain animals do. And, and it's hard then to know, you know, what the actuality is. I know with my with our pet uh, dog, you know, he, he was always a live wire and um, tearing around, <laughs> etc. And, uh, you know, that was his modus operandi. And, and uh, he didn't want to give that up, even though he, he didn't feel like it anymore. I think he, he put on a show of, of being rambunctious, even though that wasn't what he wanted to do. And it was, uh, and so we yeah. thought, oh, he, he must be okay, you know. But then it's, yeah. he was slowing down, and, and we, we, you know, you, you got to fight. You've got to be sensitive, right? You've got to really look at things, and, and, and then you'll know um, something's not right, you know. And of course, it played out in, in the fact is, you know, bowels weren't working as well as, as they should have. And, other things, you know, clues like that, but right, yeah, they, they right. do try and hide. I, I, you know, they, some people say that you know pets don't have emotions like human beings, which I think is total nonsense because I think they're equally as advanced in some ways as we are. Um, you know, I think they feel bad for us. You know, when they when they're going through illness, they they don't want to put us through difficulty, and um, and so they hide it from us because they care for us and. And that's a beautiful thought too, you know, that there's a reciprocal arrangement going on with our pets. It's not just a one-way street, is it? That's right. And they do certainly pick up on, yeah, there are research studies that have shown, I think, for instance, about dogs picking up on stress in, mm -hmm. in the home and then, you know, reacting to it, feeling it. And, it's affecting their like adrenaline levels and um yeah i remember that years ago reading a particular article where it was shown that the gums in the mouth of a dog would become paler when it was picking up on the stress in the house um so i at the time i i know me and my husband it's like if we started arguing, then we'd sort of think, "Hang on a minute, we'll give our, we're going to give our dog pale gums," you know. And it was a way of sort of <laughs> saying to each other, "Look, let's not stress Bobby out," you know. Um, right. But yeah, they do. They do pick up on our upset in different ways, and it can have a physiological effect, apparently. Um, but there's actually I some, it. yeah. yeah. And some species have it like an ingrained survival instinct that they cannot show any weakness or vulnerability, therefore illness, um, because in the wild they would have been picked off by predators. Right. And like pet birds are a prime example. And, you know, you might, somebody might have a, lovely parrot pet and the, the change in this could be very subtle and, but when you know you pet it's you're more likely to pick it up like a change in you know they're breathing faster or just something small um but they won't show it in the same way as like a cat would for instance and um 
I know it's the same with donkeys. They have a very um, high level of showing that, well, hiding their pain. And so even if they look just slight or seem slightly off, then it's important to get a vet in quickly because that means that something could be going on. They're just not showing it. And again, it's a, it's a survival thing from years and years ago. Right. And of course, the, the you know, donkeys, mules, the, those kind of animals are you know, extremely resilient, aren't they? They've been bred that way, I guess. And, um, you know, they carry yeah. loads or whatever. And, and so that's part of their character, you know, is tenacity. So they're not, they're not going to give in to anything, you know. And, and so, yeah, that would that would figure in into why, yeah. that, why they would hide that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So, um, but certainly the bird family as well, they're very, um, yeah, they, they could hide their illness right. just naturally, yes. And so it's important for people who, you know, do lose birds um, to understand that they might not have had a chance to see it because otherwise guilt can start to kick in and um, it, they really are very good at hiding their illness. Interesting. Mm. So um, I know the book details um, the various steps of euthanasia. There's different kinds and whatnot, but um, the best thing to do, I guess, is to go to your vet and they can lead you lead you through it. And um, our vet was all, has always been very uh, sensitive and, you know, let, let us be with the pet right until the end. And, uh, you know, then they get, usually give the pet some kind of sedative to calm, calm it down uh, before the, you know, euthanasia itself. And... Um, you know, it's. It, I think that's great. I mean, some people don't want to be there when it happens, but for those that yeah. do, I think it's it's lovely to you know, if you feel comfortable to to be there, you know, with with your pet at the end. Uh, it was that's what I wanted, and um, you know, then and I found it very helpful, you know, in terms of the, the sadness to, to be there, um, to to help to help him over if you if you like, you know, to that. Uh, to the next stage or whatever it is and um, be there for him. And I know my, my wife uh, spent, you know, several days prior to his dying in um, just sleeping with him, basically. And, uh, and, and that was beautiful, too, because I think that gave her a lot of comfort. And I, I hope it gave him comfort, too, that there was somebody, you know, with him uh, 24 hours a day, you know, in those last couple of days. And... Um, you know, I think that's 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 healing for both Beth and you. So we're at the break. I just heard the music. I'm with Angela Garner. Come back. We're going to find out more about dealing with the loss of a pet. Listen to the. Be right back. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with Angela Garner. She's an animal bereavement specialist, and we're talking about 
topics around the transition of a beloved pet. She's written a, a book about it that's very helpful. I recommend it. It's called When It's Time to Say Goodbye. It's, uh, it's published by Finthorn Press, but of course it's available on all the, the usual outlets. So um, if you are dealing with this, as many of us are, um, you'll find this book very helpful. Um, and uh, we're just talking about, you know, getting ready for the transition. But then in the second segment of the show, I want to talk about, you know, how do we cope afterwards, right? Because cause that's huge. What do we do with the pet's remains, for instance? Um, a lot of people um, have them cremated. Some people want to bury them. Um, you know, what, have you got any advice on that? What's what's the best way, do you think, Angela? Yes, it's. I've written, I think, quite a bit on that in the book because it's important for people to do what feels right for them. And but within that, there is certain restrictions depending on where you live. And like somebody might want to bury their pet at home in the garden. But like in the UK, if you're renting, actually, you're not allowed to bury in the garden. Um, So it's always worth checking with the vet if some you know if you're looking at a burial and cremation there are different types because um individual cremation means that you know we can have the ashes back to do what feels right with them perhaps you know bury them in the garden or in a a nice planter pot which if you ever you move home you can take with you um, or scattered in a special place, and it's good to if it's if there's time and it's possible it it's good to think about it beforehand um so that you can be more sure that your wishes will be carried out at the time um, obviously, if it's a sudden death of a pet and you haven't had time to think about it, then, you know, decisions have to be made quite quickly. Although usually the vets are willing and able to, you know, keep hold of your pet until for a little while while you decide. And But there's a lot of comfort that can come from creating some sort of memorial and there's many different ways that people do this. And some people are very creative about it. And I have the story in the book about a friend of mine. She lost her beautiful greyhound, who was a rescue greyhound, but was with her about 10 years. And she absolutely loved this dog. And he was a beautiful soul. He was like a gentlemanly dog. (laughs) And I knew him well. And after he died, she didn't do anything for a couple of years. But then she decided that she wanted to create by knitting a life-size knitted greyhound of Nelson, her dog. And she got a pattern and 
all the wool and she you know got on with it and as she was doing the face she thought of Nelson and tried to imbue the kind of gentle soulful look that he had and I saw this creation afterwards and she had it lying on the settee in, in her front room when I went round and I thought she has captured something of the essence of Nelson and uh, at one point she was going out and she thought to herself, oh, I'll put the radio on for Nelson. And then she realized <laughs> it was not Nelson. It was the knitted Nelson. <clears throat> but it kind of made her smile. Um, so that was a, a like really unusual. And it shows how unique we can be in this. Um, but, you know, people can have paw prints taken or portraits done pet portraits done from photographs and all sorts of things but it i believe it really helps to have a focal point you know a special little tree in a pot in the garden or a plant um even if you know you're not able to bury and um but you can still have a focal point as a memorial right exactly you know we, we have a very healing. Yeah, we have a wood at the, the bottom of our garden, and um, you know our dog used to career around and careen around in there and uh, crash through the trees and whatnot, and try and escape. Sometimes he was good at getting out, but um, <laughs> we 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 ended up putting uh, his ashes down there at the bottom of the the garden in the woodland, and um, and and then hung his uh, his collar on on the fence, you know, and. Um, and uh, that sort of had a little celebration down there, commemoration. And yeah. so we felt it was a fitting place because, you know, he, would, he always loved to go down there. He'd go down to the bottom of the hill and, and sit there and enjoy himself, you know, in the shade. And uh, so it, it was very, very touching for us to, to do that. And, you know, it's always felt good. You know, he's still with us in some in some way, right? And, um, yeah. I know this is later in the book, but since we're talking about that, um, animals do come back to us, right? You you talked about phenomenon, um, you know, phenomena that happen in, in pet parade, but, you know, where we see our pets. And there's one intriguing one about, you know, where the, one of the dogs had died, but this woman saw the dog playing with the other two dogs and and uh, that happened a couple of times. Um, yeah. He was, he was in his spirit form or whatever. Yes, that was, um, yes, that's a friend of mine with her German shepherds. And I was very um, moved by the story because I, it brought her a lot of comfort as well. And the reason I included this chapter, Phenomena in Pet Bereavement, is because people over the years of supporting um, people, I have heard stories where they've said, Oh, I felt I felt my cat jump on the bed. Um, or I saw a flash of white out the corner of my eye and you know, it was a white dog that they'd lost and various other um stories and people I I wanted it I wanted the stories in there so that if people experience something themselves that they can look at other people's and think oh yes that happens to somebody else and it's okay 
um, obviously we don't understand exactly what it means and but I think it's rather wonderful and comforting that people have these feelings absolutely yes yeah absolutely yeah and you know why not anything's possible in this life right and in my book in my view anyway um that's that's right yeah 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 we just we don't understand everything about life and death by any means um you know there's these mysteries and it can cause a wonder in our minds and yeah it can be very comforting to people afterwards you mentioned a lot of course about grief and uh and and the various aspects of it and it it, it is um you know, people have called it seasons of grief and i think you talk about that too that you know we go through these various stages and and, and you think you're over it and then it comes back and hits you again and yes. or you, you're dealing with uh fear one day and guilt the next or or even anger, uh, you know, all kinds of emotions come up, right? But they're yes. all valid. They're all they're all part of the process of of dealing with with loss, right? It's it's totally natural. Absolutely, and that's it's, what I have found a lot from people is that they have these setbacks, what I call setbacks, whereas you know they feel they've they've gone through a, a, a a lot of grief and then they start to feel a bit more settled in their self in, and a bit more stable um, and then something it could be a sight or a sound or even a scent that just triggers the the grief again and they can feel like they're back where they were but I explained that Grief is often three steps forward and two steps back to start with. And then it can be three steps forward and one step back. Right. The thing is, the person's actually making progress. And because, you know, in the early days, somebody might be crying profusely, you know, every day. And then a bit later on that's less so but then something can trigger and they find themselves in floods and tears and think oh here I go again I thought I'd moved on that they have it's it's something's triggered and there's just a little movement back for a while Uh, and you you do suggest though that if people you know have a really really hard time and and it's getting you know more than you can deal with then it's okay to reach out and get some professional help too right the you know, don't, yeah. don't, yes, um, you know, and not feel guilty about that either, that uh, sometimes we need a counsellor or whatever, uh, or some kind of medical help even to get us through. Definitely, because and if somebody's, well, we never know somebody else's life situation, what they've been struggling with anyway, and the death of a pet can come on top of other stresses in life where it all starts to feel a bit too much to cope with, overwhelming. And it can trigger things like anxiety, um, ongoing depression, and they might you know, find that they constantly unable to sleep, don't feel like um, eating, and they're sort of starting to drink more alcohol all the time. 
And it can become a downward spiral because they're not looking after themselves physically and mentally and emotionally. They're sort of getting battered. And it's really important to not try and struggle through on one's own. And there are organisations in different parts of the world that offer support to people. Or it may be a case of um, like seeking help from one's doctor because if you've got a medical condition, it can be made worse just temporarily by the upset and stress of grief. And similarly with mental health issues, um, they might need to actually contact uh, somebody on the team who are caring for them and to say, look, I need a bit more help to get through this. And there's there's actually nothing wrong with saying I'm struggling and there's everything right with admitting it and getting the help. Yeah, it's sometimes it's just not something we can do on our own. I'm a big advocate of the fact that the, you know, the, what's, how would you describe it? It's a both and world, right? So the things that are the, the things that break us down are also the things that raise us up. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but, um, you know, the, the fact that we can open to grief is also part of the healing, right? It's the, the, the reverse side of the coin. Um, if we, if we can't grieve, we can't heal. Um, and so they, they're, they're both necessary, right? Yeah, it, it yeah. Pain, it pain's the same thing, I think. And, uh, you know, you, if you can't feel pain, then you, you can't be fully alive, you know, because that's part of the sensitivity of being in this human form, right? So so you have mm. to feel it. But to go, get lost in it, of course, is not, not the way. But um, no. it's a gift. It's a gift. And... Um, and and so you know it's the same with poignant dates as you call them um you know anniversaries yes. of the the pet's death or whatever you know it can be a tough time but it, it it can also be a celebratory time because you know it gives you an opportunity to look back and remember the good times that you had and um the, the moments of joy that you you you've experienced with that pet so um you know it, it again both and right it's uh, it's we're dealing with um the interesting nesting quality of, of being alive. It's, um, it's, it's, joy, it's sorrow and joy seem to, to come together sometimes. They do, they do. And yes, as we work through things and come out the other side, it, it can build a like deep inner resilience and also a greater understanding for others and compassion towards others. Because when we have felt any suffering or pain ourselves in any way, we can understand, we know what it can be like and we can understand it in another and therefore be able to offer them, you know, a, a hand of friendship and support and love. Because, you know, people aren't supposed to struggle I don't think we're designed to struggle on our own. We're, we're very tribal, the human race. And uh, grief is a time when we need people who understand us and support right. us. And, and as you said yeah. in the beginning of the book, not, not with easy, you know, pat answers, but just with yeah. compassion, right? And if, you, if you've been through it yourself, you know, um, 
the pat answers are you know, not helpful sometimes. And as a minister of 30 years, you know, I've dealt with this for many, many years. Um, the, the usual things we say when somebody dies, you know, that or they're in a better place, uh, etc. You know, none of that helps when you're going through the grief. You know, that it doesn't feel like they're in a better place. You know, I just, I don't want to hear I don't want to hear easy answers. I want I want to feel what I'm feeling, and yeah. uh, you know, so yeah. it's, it's it's sometimes not saying anything, but just being present, being there for somebody. I think can be more healing than than mm-hmm. somebody trying to you know fill up the void with with some talk about how it's all going to be okay you know and that doesn't seem to seem to help sometimes that's right i i absolutely agree paul because giving somebody our time is sometimes the best thing we can offer and some quiet space for them to as we were talking about earlier feel what they feel and to let them be upset in front of us if they want to cry their eyes out or scream or whatever it's okay you know there's no judgment it's only support that's coming and that that can be such a comfort to people a release you know some somebody they feel safe with right yeah yeah good good advice um Mm. Okay, there comes a time when the the loss is you know happened, uh, the the pet's been gone, and, and maybe you're thinking about you know I I, need, I would love a new pet. You quote James Herriot, the famous writer, uh, yeah. who was writing a while ago now, but he's you know his advice was uh, if you lose a pet, you know find another one real quick and replace it, and and you say yeah that that probably wouldn't be the advice we'd give today, you know because. If you replace it too quickly, you don't have a chance to go through the, the grieving process fully, and um, there needs to be some time and space, right, to to happen for that. Um, but but eventually, there is this, uh, you know, I love what you the phrase you use, opening your heart to a new pet. You know, mm-hmm. that that you're ready to to open again to to something something new. Yes, yes, it's. Actually, and also if somebody takes on a, a new pet too soon and they're not ready, it, it works for some people to get another pet straight away, I have to say. But if if somebody does it and it's too soon, they find it difficult to bond with the new pet. And the poor creature is trying to adapt to a new home and it can create problems both ways you know for the new animal for the new guardian um and so yeah it does need to be sensitively timed and to feel right in yourself and if it's a family then that might take a little bit of juggling because one person might think yes i'm ready and somebody else isn't and so conversations are needed and things spoken and talked through until the right time to take on a new companion animal is is felt by everyone very good advice and uh i was just musing in my own mind about you know pets i've lost over the years and one of the ones that hurt me the most when as a child was a, a tortoise we had that uh died because you know they hibernate over winter and uh 
normally they're like a little warmer climate than, than Britain. And uh, we had him in the shed, I think, at the back of the garden and uh, in a in a box covered in straw. And, and you know, I hope he'd stay warm enough. But of course, I think it got a little too nippy or whatever. And uh, by the time we retrieved him in the in the spring, you know, he was gone. There was just ants all around him and everything. Oh. And I remember feeling terribly, terribly sad about that. You know, that it wasn't supposed yeah. to be. I was probably about eight or nine at the time. And yeah. uh, that was that was horrific, actually. <laughs> but I, and then again, it was a good lesson in the fact that, you know, things do, you know, tr- the transition and, and uh, you know, the, that's the nature of things. But, uh, but yeah. I felt very, very sorry for that poor little animal. Yes, yes. I. It is often, you know, the first experience of bereavement as a child losing a pet not always of course but and it can be very difficult for the children and that's why I've got a chapter on this in the book supporting children through pet bereavement because how that's handled makes such a difference Um, and that was obviously a traumatic experience that you had with the dear tortoise and and I think now nowadays parents and uh, carers are more aware of the effect that would have on a child you know to to find their tortoise had died during the winter hibernation so yeah it's um children have different ways of dealing with it depending on their age generally and children are very resilient i found too that you know that we tend to be concerned about telling uh, things to children but really that in some ways they're very open to it you know we're the ones that are afraid just to bring the subject up they're they're open to uh talking about it and um you know it, it has to be done sensitively obviously but yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, children are quite open hearted and, and, and open minded about these things. And uh, if, they, if, they, if people are, deal with it frankly and honestly, but with sensitivity, I think, you know, children will be, be OK about it. Uh, that's that's been my experience anyway, uh, being yeah. a child and being a, you know, a parent and grandparent. Um, yes, yes, you know, yes. Yeah. Yes, I would I would say absolutely to that. Yes, honest and open and allowing the children to express themselves as well. Um, yeah, definitely. Let me tell folks about next week's show. That will leave us about a minute to cover anything that I haven't managed to cover so far. Angela, you sure. can do some final uh, statements before the end of the show. Uh, next week, uh, teacher and healer Glenn Park is going to join me. And she's going to discuss a new book. It's called Chakra Healing Therapy, Awakening Spiritual Energies and Healing Emotional Wounds. And she's my, my fourth Brit, I think, this month because I've, I've been honored to have uh, Angela from Devon. And then last week we had uh, someone from uh, from Devon as well. And then before that, someone from Penzance. So, uh, it's been a British month this month, <laughs> which has been fun. Um, but uh, that should be a good show, uh, Healing uh, Therapy from from Glenn Park. 
but in the remaining minute or so, uh, what, what, did, what haven't we covered that you would like to share with us today? I would say that we've, about grief, that we feel the pain of grief because we care. And, you know, somebody who is grieving may feel they'll never be able to go through it again. But certainly in time, that their heart will heal and they may even want to go on and open their heart and mind to another pet. And, um, you know, the love is like it's, it's, it's never wasted. <laughs> it always has to go somewhere. And, yeah, so we, we feel the pain because we, we care, basically. Right, and I think you said that, that, uh, that loss is the, the, the other side of caring, right? That the grief is uh, yeah. caring. The two yes. sides of the coin again, you know, um, and so that that's truly a blessing uh, yeah. to be able to go through that. I've been through grief a lot in my life with, with various people and, and pets and, and, and other things that I've lost. But, uh, you know, I've always felt like it was uh, something that deepened my understanding, certainly deepened, deepened my compassion. And so so that that's a good thing. Folks, I yes. hope you've enjoyed everything we've shared today. It's been a, a pleasure to have Angela on the show with us. It's a wonderful book. As I said, when it's time to say goodbye, preparing for the transition of your beloved pet. Um, Angela, I wish you well uh, in all the work that you do over there in, in the UK. And I know a lot of it is influencing people in other parts of the world too, right? Yes, yes. Well, uh, thank you very much, Paul, for having me on the show. You're welcome. And thank you, folks, for listening. Have a good week. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 